We are entering the uh, Late Show Library once again, and I'm happy to say uh, we've got a brand spanking new new book, Smell Really Good and Feel Really Good. Uh, it's a new book by John Smales called Mount Panorama Bathurst, The Stories Behind the Legend. G'day, John. Thanks for joining me. G'day, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, Mount Panorama, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks uh, with what's happened with Scotty McLaughlin, uh, is, a, uh, is a most interesting, intriguing and drama-filled venue. It seems, Kevin, no matter what we do in Australia, uh, all drama seems to descend on the uh, on the mountain at least once a year and maybe more these days since there are now five race meetings gazetted by the federal government to be held there each year. Uh, and Mount Panorama for like 80 years now has just been steeped in drama. Now you've got a, you've got a, I'm sure there are other areas in Australia with a similar kind of a geographic position and topography and all those things. Why did Mount Panorama become a racing circuit? Well, well, actually, it's unique. There is nothing like it in Australia and almost in the world. Okay. It became a motor racing circuit because uh, uh, Australia at the time in the 1930s was uh, uh, steeped in a. Uh, uh, in a fairly major depression, well, the major depression, yeah. and uh, there was federal and state government around to undertake employment relief, but it was available only for projects which were of civic uh, importance. The motor racing circuit certainly didn't uh, didn't qualify, but a scenic road did. So the mayor of Bathurst decided that he'd build a 6.2 kilometre scenic road around what was essentially a, a hill in a paddock. Uh, and for that, he got £27,000 worth of, uh, of federal and state government funding. Now, he always intended that it be a motor racing circuit. Right from the outset, he'd approached the authorities who ran both motorcycling and motor car racing in Australia, both very young at that time. And uh, he'd got them on side before he even got the fed and state government money. So it was a, I guess you'd call it a scam. I mean... In, in today's world, <laughs> would, it have, would, it, would it have stood up to scrutiny? You know, would, would, would governments have fallen? I mean, probably I'm exaggerating a little bit there, but maybe not because the local member was a bloke called Ben Chifley who went on to become the Prime Minister. Yeah. So, so he was kind of integrally involved in this means of extracting money by deceit uh, from, uh, from the governments of Australia at the time. Now, your first uh, experience of Mount Panorama, 1960, is that right? Oh, thank you, Kevin. <laughs> it was, yes. I was very young at the time. I went up there with my dad. Uh, it was the first motor, racing I'd ever, motor race I'd ever been to, actually. And we went there because Jack Glavin was racing. he just returned from overseas where he'd won the first two of his three world championships. And Dad, although he wasn't a major motorsport enthusiast, just figured that Jack Glavin was someone special. And Dad, not being short of front, went straight up to uh, to Jack and said, Hi, Jack, I'm John Sr. and I'd like you to meet John Jr. And I shook Jack Gravham's hand at the first motor racing I ever went to and guess what I've been doing ever since? <laughs> uh, the bug bit you and that was the end of that. Yeah, that was, well, you know, you shake Jack Gravham's hand and you, you can't you can't turn back. You know, from that, from that point on, onwards, it had to be motorsport. The, uh, the obvious question to ask you, and, 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 and there's been a number of different uh, sorts of, of motor racing uh, that's been done at Mount Panorama, but uh, in, your, in your mind, John, and you've been around motor racing, as you mentioned, since the 1960s, and, and writing about Thank it for... Thank you for a, reminding me. Uh, and writing about it for a number of decades uh, since, um, who is the king of the mountain? 
Well, there are two, actually. Peter Brock is naturally the king of the mountain. He won nine uh, of the Bathurst 500 and 1,000s there, and he stamped his mark indelibly on, on that circuit and also on that city. Peter, Peter was very big on civic duty, so he became a, an honorary citizen of Bathurst. He became uh, a member of the Bathurst Light Car Club. I mean, who else would do that from, from the major sources that he did? So to me, uh, Peter Brock was always king of the mountain. But there was another bloke called Greg Hansford, little known by comparison to Peter, but he was the only person ever to win an Australian GP and TT, that's tourist trophy, on motorcycles and also win the Bathurst 1000 and win the, uh, the Bathurst 12 hour for production cars. Uh, that's a unique uh, uh, opportunity, a, a, a unique achievement. And Greg, who sadly was killed the year after he won the 12 hour, would in my mind equal Brock in terms of his hold on being king of the mountain. There's not been a lot of uh, people in the industry who've, who've jumped from the motorbikes in, into the cars and had the success that, uh, that Greg Hansford had. No, no, there's, there's only a couple. There's no one who's actually done it to that degree. The other bloke who came close was Wayne Gardner. Yep. Uh, Wayne, Wayne raced at, uh, at Bathurst uh, on bikes, not, I have to say, successfully. In fact, he rated it as one of the three circuits in the world that he would choose not to race a bike on because by then it had become so dangerous because the fences had been built for cars and uh, fences that save cars kill bikes. So Wayne quite rightly decided that his one attempt at Bathurst on the bike was more than enough. But he came back and took pole position in the Bathurst 1000 and came third outright in the Bathurst 1000 as well. So you've got two guys there, Hansford and Gardner, both of whom crossed the stream, but virtually no one else has ever had. The uh, the technology that's come into racing uh, in in the last you know twenty thirty forty years uh, has changed a lot of the things about racing. But the one thing that's uh, that's not changed in that time is the drama that is always associated with the last few laps of uh, of the Bathurst uh, race. It, it's quite it's quite staggering how that uh, how that's continued to play out, uh, and even even to this year. Don't, don't you love it? I mean, that's why we all go to Bathurst, or all two million of us turn on our television sets or live stream these days. Uh, because you know that Bathurst is going to serve up the drama. I mean, this year with Scotty McLaughlin was was just incredible, regardless of the protests that have sudden, subsequently occurred and been determined, and the largest fine ever in Australian motorsport has been levied against uh, the Penske team. Uh, regardless of that, that last lap, when they had one lap to determine the winner of Australia's greatest touring car race, was just stand out. And like you say, it's always been that way. You know, it, it, it's almost an impossibility to to say why, except it just seems to happen. I mean, I recall the time that Larry Perkins drove from last, dead last in the field, through to first in in the event. He was got major accolades. He went across the finish line for, for such an extreme effort. No matter where you turn, Bathurst always seems to serve up a, a last-minute drama. And in a day and age where people are talking about, uh, you know, uh, attention spans of young people and not being able to, I mean, it is, it's, it's an endurance not only of the drivers and the cars and all that, but it's endurance of the people who watch it as well. Oh, absolutely. Thank, thankfully, we have fast forward on our televisions these days. I mean, uh, unless you're an absolute enthusiast, 
And unless you're uh, now dialing into a number of the ancillary opportunities that exist for you uh, in paid in, in pay to play, for example, you can dial into the telemetry of any one motor car these days. And unless you're someone who, who's that intense uh, that you you want to follow to that degree, there are dare I say it, there are elements of boredom in the six hours. Not too many, but there are elements of boredom in the six hours. So that's what the fast forward is for. But I, I'd reckon that if you compress the Bathurst uh, one thousand six hours of it into maybe two hours, it'd be sensational. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you could tell uh, even this year, where uh, Scotty McLaughlin with the tears in his eyes after he, uh, you know, when it dawned on him and and sort of uh, the realization came to him that he'd won the the race that he dreamed of as a kid. That's in uh, that's in the motor racing industry, uh, and will I think will always continue to be, and that's one of the magic parts of uh, of, the, of the whole race, isn't it? Do you know I was out yesterday with a bloke called Will Power? No, yeah. seriously, that's his name, Will yeah. Power, yeah. Uh, and he is the only Australian ever to won, have won the Indianapolis Five Hundred. He's also a winner of the IRL, the Indy Racing League. He's one of the lead drivers for Penske in the states, and yet. His dream is to come to Bathurst and compete. Not necessarily win, just to compete. Uh, he, he's allowed out of Toowoomba, but nonetheless, he grew up, you know, out of Toowoomba, grew up looking at Bathurst as being the pinnacle before suddenly he found himself on the world stage and suddenly he found himself being arguably one of the most successful Australian racing drivers ever on that world stage. But he still looks at Bathurst with reverence. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And Scotty McLaughlin's a New Zealand kid who grew up dreaming of uh, of, of winning it. Um, we 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 say that uh, that that Brock it was was Brock the best at driving this circuit. Yeah, that's a, uh, an incredible question. I, I've always rated uh, Jim Richards, who won three Bathurst with Brock, as probably being the master of the mountain okay. in terms of being able to pin sharp every corner, every lap. But Brock, in his era, was undoubtedly the best. Yeah, about the time Brock stopped racing, I was there on the day, in fact, that he had his first retirement. I was with him in the pits on that, at that actual moment when Mark Scope stopped at the top of the mountain and Peter knew that his career was over. But Peter, at that time, was the last of the intuitive drivers, the last guy who raced without telemetry, the last guy who didn't have his engineer in his ear on the radio all the time, giving him advice as to what to do next with the car. Yet Peter would go out, and from the time he inserted him in, himself in the car, he was in his own world. And that's a, a, an experience that a lot of the young guys don't get these days because they've got so much uh, assistance give, being given to them from the pits all the way around. It doesn't lessen at all uh, their ability their natural talent and ability, but Brock was the last one to kind of do it solo, if you understand. And and yep. in that respect, I would say that Peter Brock, uh, just simply by dint of the successes he had, had, had to rate it as the seriously best at the mountain. John, uh, you uh, obviously are involved in uh, in writing uh, in co-writing uh, Alan Moffat's book. Uh, where does he sit in the uh, in the history of uh, of the Mount Panorama? The most determined human being in the history of the world. Yeah. Uh, no one has ever been more focused than Alan Moffat. 
Alan Moffat didn't have a life except uh, around motorsport and ultimately, uh, because Bathurst was the pinnacle, had only a life around Bathurst, if you understand. Uh, Alan was unapproachable uh, during uh, the race meeting uh, and especially at Bathurst. Uh, He was inconsolable if he came second. you know, to, to lose by two seconds, in other words, to come second in Australia's greatest motor race was never enough for Alan unless he was on the, the top step of the podium. That was the only place he wanted to be. Can I tell you a quick story about, about how unapproachable Alan was? Please do. He always, he always locked himself in his, in his caravan. Back in those days, they had caravan. And he never came out and never uh, willingly participated in any of the autograph signings or meet the fans or anything of that nature. It, it, it wasn't that he was being arrogant. It was just that he was being focused and really shy. One day, Charlie O'Brien, who was driving in his team, knocked on Alan's caravan door and said, Alan, there are two Americans here from Dearborn who want to have a quick chat with you. Would you come and see them? And Alan sort of understood that his career depended on keeping Ford in Dearborn happy. So he reluctantly left the caravan. Oh, wow. And he discovered that, that Charlie had lined up uh, 50 fans with autograph books uh, <laughs> and trapped him. And uh, Alan was a smart enough guy to understand that he wasn't going to turn his back on them. So he happily or unhappily signed 50 fans autograph books and stayed there for about half an hour. <laughs> but it was agony for him to do that. Alan was, was and still remains, to my mind, the epitome of the focused racing driver. The, uh, the future of Mount Panorama? Uh, what, oh. what, what is is it assured? Uh, never, never say anything's assured when it's a public road yeah. and the city of Bathurst is is encroaching on it. It's like an iceberg moving it. The city is like an iceberg mo- moving millimeters a year, but every year it gets closer. Uh, to to that end, the Bathurst Regional Council has commissioned a uh, an investigation into the building of a second circuit. Uh, which will be over the other side of Mount Panorama. Uh, they've actually got a, a company in the US, UK now, Apex Circuits Design, actually designing a 4.7 kilometre track out the back. Their plan is to run that 24/7, you know, year round. Uh, right. But but they're not going to lose Mount Panorama, not by hook or by crook. That will be reserved only for the big events. But they'll now have, if they get it right, uh, a secondary circuit round the back, which will keep panorama alive, even if ultimately uh, the circuit that we all know and love does uh, fall to uh, uh, urban development. Yeah, you know, it's always it's always on the card, uh, but certainly I'm not talking it up or down. I'm just simply saying it's an ever-present threat, which maybe sometime in the in the long distant future it it, it could uh, cause the end of the circuit as we know it at the moment. Yeah. John, apart from shaking Jack Brabham's hand in 1960, do you have a, a favourite Mount Panorama moment? Uh, probably every year. But, uh, but Kevin, the uh, the two that stand out for me were the two things that I regarded as being the two best races of all times. One on motorcycles when Greg Hansford, we already discussed him, lost actually by that millimetre to a guy called Warren Willing. They came out on TZ700 Yamaha. It's the first time those bikes had ever been brought to Bathurst, the first, the first serious superbike. Grand Prix bikes, and they came down Conrod Strait, which was hugely bumpy, at 280 kilometres an hour. No one had ever been faster. 
And for 20 laps, they swapped the lead backwards and forwards until on the last corner of the last lap, Willing was behind Hansford on the apex of the corner, but just got more drive out of the corner and beat him by quarter of a wheel length over the finish line. That was one. And the other one, of course, was only two years prior to that when Alan Moffat, we just discussed, and Ian Gagan, five times Australian touring car champion, got to it. Alan Moffat in his famous red Ford Mustang and Pete Gagan in a white Falcon GTHO, the Super Falcon, which had been built for the time by Ford Motor Company. Uh, And the two of them just swapped the lead for 13 laps in the Australian Touring Car Championship. And Gagan had oil pouring out of his motor car all over the front of Moffat's uh, windscreen and what have you, to the degree with with two laps to go, Moffat unhooked his seatbelts and lent out the window so he could continue to attack Gagan (laughs) down the straight. (laughs) Amazing stuff, just amazing stuff. Gagan won again. Moffat protested him. Uh, but by then, uh, A, uh, Gagan had cleaned up his car, so there was no trace of where they were to come from. <laughs> and, yeah. and secondly, Moffat, without seatbelts on, leaning out the window, had set the lap record. So the steward said, well, it couldn't have been that bad. And they left the results as they were. But for me, they were the two greatest races ever held at Mount Panorama. Yeah, it's, it's chock full of memories, isn't it, Mount Panorama? Absolutely chock full of memories, as is this book that you've written about uh, about the mountain itself. To, to, write, a, to write a book about a, a venue, you, you, you can't exactly go and interview it. You can't exactly uh, uh, go back and find uh, quotes uh, from, uh, from Mount Panorama in history. So uh, a tough challenge, and uh, you've risen to the, uh, to the challenge beautifully. Well done, John. Thank you, Kevin. I really appreciate your your support and I hope you enjoy the read.